0: My name is Hanny and welcome to morning meditation. episode and season with a guided meditation. The meditation will last roughly 30 seconds. Let's begin in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Relax your breathing. exhale, inhale, and exhale, inhale, and exhale. Now, as you're exhaling, I want you to gently relax your shoulders. So take an inhale, exhale, relax your shoulders. Gently lower your shoulders. Inhale, exhale, relax your shoulders. Take your mind's focus on your shoulders, gently lowering as you exhale. Try to avoid raising your shoulders while you inhale. Just pay attention to lowering your shoulders while you're exhaling. Repeat this simply five times inhale, exhale, inhale. This episode, like many others in the past and probably future episodes, is about Zen. This episode in particular will explore the essence of Zen and its role in revealing the hidden truths of the human mind. I will be reading excerpts from Thomas Cleary's reflections on the science of freedom. I look forward to sharing his contemplations as well as my own, on Zen and its function to the welfare of the public. Let's begin. Someone asked one of the early Zen masters to teach him a way to liberation. The Zen master said, Who binds you? The seeker of liberty said, No one binds me the Zen master said. Then why seek liberation? Liberation of the human mind from the inhibiting effects of mesmerism by its own creation is the essence of Zen. This liberation is seen on the one hand in terms of freeing the mind from uncomfortable and unnecessary limitations, and on the other in terms of freeing the great potential and great function dormant in the unknown realm of conscious action beyond those limitations. Early Zen masters revived the teaching of Buddha that liberation is the essential criterion of spiritual authenticity, not tradition or convention. In modern terms, it has become customary to think of bondage primarily in social, political, or economic terms. Emotional, intellectual, and more subtle forms of bondage are commonly associated with side effects or secondary developments of more obvious forms of oppression such as those visible in material or institutional terms. Bondage is often seen primarily as something imposed from without, while its internal manifestations are regarded as reactions or adaptations to the external condition. Buddhist thought, on the other hand, sees mind as the ultimate source of bondage, whether imposed by others or self-imposed. If this is true, it explains why social liberation and reform movements that work on the symptoms of bondage and injustice without effectively addressing their source are never completely or finally effective history tells of political liberators who become oppressors in turn of organizations originally set up to protect rights ahem ahem human rights watch ahem ahem amnesty international turning into usurpers of rights of institution ostensibly established to free people from ignorance becoming little more than tools for the imprisonment of minds within the boundaries of received opinion. According to Zen teaching, the quest for freedom itself has the power to bind, whether it be acted out in physiological, psychological, political, or religious terms. Buddhism insists that real freedom is possible even if its price includes the very myths and illusions that may have once inspired this aspiration. Just as mind is considered by Buddhists to be the source of bondage, it is also considered to be the source of enlightenment. Buddhists believe that unimaginable capacities for fulfillment lie hidden in the mind concealed by the preoccupation of day-to-day concerns and worries. Who binds you? Buddhism says we bind ourselves in the web of our individual and collective ideas, words, and acts. I'm going to have a little pause there. If you're familiar with Carlos Castaneda's work, his his teacher, his mentor, Don Wadmatis, says that, everything in terms of the language the ideas the words that we have is all part of what he calls the human inventory and he spoke about how that even your most private intimate thoughts that thoughts that you will have never shared or even have any intention of sharing with anyone else is still composed of images myths words languages that you did not create so at the very fundamental of it, the human mind that we associate ourselves to is nothing but social constructions that we've created for ourselves and what we've adopted from the collective. Let's continue. This is held true of everything from personal neurosis to massive oppressions, from self-inflicted suffering to the suffering that people impose on their neighbors. Furthermore, these ideas, words, and acts are observed to emerge from subtle attitudes or mental postures that unconsciously potentiate them and sustain their continuity. Since these postures are rarely given conscious critical examination, Screened as they are by their own subjectivity, the beginning of bondage from the development of the characteristic inclinations these inner attitudes foster and the reinforcement they attract is in Zen terminology called tying yourself up without rope. From a Zen point of view, The problem underlying diverse manifestations of bondage is a fundamental confusion. In classic Zen terms, this is expressed as as mistaking the servant for the master, or taking a guest for the host. When obvious forms of bondage, such as the political and economic enslavement of peoples, Begin and develop into repetitious cycles from the domination of minds by ideas, words, and acts. Buddhist thinking recognizes the susceptibility of the mind to suggestion and conditioning. Hence the proverb, Be master of mind rather than mastered by mind. While it is understood that nothing can be said about an absolute objectivity totally beyond the mind that supposes it, Buddhism strives for the greatest possible objectivity in understanding humanity, free from the biases and prejudices that blight human relations and prevent humankind from seeing itself as it is. Let's say that one more time. Buddhism Strives for the greatest possible objectivity in understanding humanity, free from the biases and prejudice such as white supremacy, transmisogyny, ableism, patriarchy. These are not words that exist in a paradigm, these are real things that shape our everyday lives. There is a very real reason that over a billion people on this planet don't have access to clean water, yet a very small percentage of this planet wastes more water in a single toilet flush than three billion people on this planet have access to. I'll say that one more time, okay? There's a very small population, very small size of the human population that spends more water in a single toilet flush than nearly half of the world's population have access to in a single day. Okay? Let me just finish up that quote that I repeated. So from the biases and prejudices that blight human relations and prevent humankind from seeing itself as it is. In order to accomplish this, Buddhism examines the relationship between subjectivity and objectivity from every possible angle to arrive at the limits of what can be known and what is real and what is true. Until one reaches the point where this critical discernment can be made, Zen liberation is not really possible. People may feel liberated when all they had is a change of concern. They may feel justified when they're only convinced they are right. And these feelings may be all they really want. Then again, people may feel relieved to be having things to do, think about, and talk about, without this really satisfying them or nourishing them inwardly. They may be in Zen terms, stuffed but not fulfilled. People may feel impelled by conscience to act in ways that do not achieve what they envision because they cannot master the will and knowledge of which their impulses are echoes. All the problems of psychological and spiritual inauthenticity are placed under the rigorous scrutiny of the Zen eye. Zen drives at the reality of freedom, not the image of freedom. Ooh wee yo, Zen is so bad. All right, let's continue. An age-old Zen observation has been made that whatever stimulates or motivates people, whether it be expressed in economic, political, social, psychological, or religious terms, may in fact be inhibiting them from fulfilling the very needs and desires that stimulate and motivate them. In Zen terms, this does not mean that the object in itself thwarts anyone, but that the individual's conception of that object and attitude are unfulfilling. Here is the crux of the Zen approach to liberation. The shackles of poverty and oppression are visible to the ordinary eye, and it is not hard to find agreement and sympathy for those afflicted. Often, however, People and peoples are chained by shackles that they in fact treasure. As one Zen master said, It is hard for people to see anything wrong with what they like, or to see anything good in what they do not like. Another Zen master noted that familiarity itself is a quality that people are generally inclined to like. This means that predilections and habits with which people feel comfortable at a given time may serve them for comfort, but may in fact be holding them back from greater capacity for progress and fulfillment. Like Taoism, its ancient predecessor, Zen has long observed that one of the predilections contrary to real progress in social and individual development is the desire for rapid and visible results. Countless studies have shown that the results of haste in social and political affairs are similar to the results of haste in psychological studies, depression, resentment, regret, and longing which eventually consume any temporary gains that might have been made. What is finally left of this process after emotions are exhausted is a collection of rationalization in terms as ineffective as emotions alone. It is sometimes asked, for example, why massive hunger and oppression continue to exist in spite of large quantities of surplus wealth and elaborate systems of law and government. Searching for an answer to this conundrum, a political thinker might focus mainly on the interplay of conflicting material interests involved in the influence of interlopers. A social scientist might advance theories resorting to peculiarities of culture and history to explain the persistence of involuntary social patterns. A Zen observer would, however, have to consider the entire nexus of conditions impartially, without isolating any one element because of emotional associations. In order to understand truthfully what is really possible in a given situation, the would-be illuminate may have to stand aside from inculculated ideas and sacrifice sentimental compassion. This is part of the great death Zen practitioners seek in order to clarify their minds and see what is before them impersonally and impartially, so that they may start life fresh without the burden of past illusions. Emphasis in Buddhism on individual liberation even in schools whose express aim is collective liberation has given rise to the misconception that it is socially passive even escapist religion while passivism and escapism are well documented corruptions of certain practices these attitudes are far from the spirit of Buddhism importance is placed on the common weal Even in the schools that focus primarily on individual liberation, the liberation of individuals is seen as an integral part of the welfare of society, reducing resources of conflict and enabling people to work for the benefit of others unhindered by personal ambition. I'm going to read this paragraph one last time. I'm going to read it nice and slow. Emphasis in Buddhism on individual liberation, even in schools whose express aim is collective liberation, has given rise to the misconception that it is socially passive, even escapist religion. While passivism and escapism are well-documented corruptions of certain practices. These attitudes are far from the spirit of Buddhism. Importance is placed on the common wheel even in the schools that focus primarily on individual liberation. The liberation of individuals is seen as an integral part of the welfare of society, reducing sources of conflict and enabling people to work for the benefit of others, unhindered by personal ambition. Thank you so much for listening to an episode of Morning Meditation. I'm your host, Henny. If you'd like to learn more about Zen, meditation, liberation theology, you can find me at my blog modernshaman.ca and shaman spelled S-H-X instead of A-M-X instead of A-N. So modernshaman.ca and I hope to speak with you guys soon. Have a good day. I was reminded earlier, Dean, when you were talking about the white liberal, of uh, Dick Gregory's comment uh, one time, he said, "A, a, a liberal is a cat who will lynch you from a low branch. A liberal is a cat who will lynch you from a low branch, who will lynch you from a low branch.